When I was a kid, I, I know that my mom, when, uh, when, when, when my sister was born, she's the oldest in our home, and when my sister was born, something else happened to my mother. She got this extra sense about her. It's something I think only you moms uh, have, and that is your ability to sense there is something happening in a totally different room without ever being there. And what happened to me, I would be doing something in a totally another room, and I would hear my mother say to me, Scott, you better not do that. And I would pause, and I would go, how in the world does she know that I'm about ready to do something that she thinks I shouldn't do that I think I am capable of doing? Somehow, she was able to have that special sense that something was going on that, uh, in another room. And when we read through these stories of Jesus as we, we have been in Mark, and we get to this one, it feels like that Jesus is under that, that no matter what is happening in his life, there is always somebody watching him and ready to call him out on what is going on. But really, what it is, is that they are, they are watching him, uh, and they are struggling, not because Jesus is doing anything wrong, but they're struggling because of Jesus' methods, his action, and his teaching. And they are struggling to engage in this because it is so far off of what has been happening. So this morning, we're going to go through, and I wanted to do clear to into Mark chapter 3, but as I started to look at this text, and I'm actually having two weeks to uh, percolate on it, there was no way I could get past this first part, and so we're just going to, we're going to rest here, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 2, and beginning here, he is being challenged about the Sabbath. And so Jesus is breaking the Sabbath. That's what they see. They see that Jesus is breaking the Sabbath. And he's asked, why are you and your disciples breaking the Sabbath? Now, you have to understand that what they were talking about here is that they were talking about the extra rules that the Pharisees had put upon the people of Israel. And the Pharisees had added 613 other ways or other laws about how you're to operate in the presence of God. 365 of them, extras, were, they were negative. 248 were positive. So you imagine, you read through the Old Testament, you get into the laws that God has set forth, and you have all of those, which are a lot, and then they added, they added another 16, 613 laws. These are the ones that they're talking about that Jesus is violating. So what was he violating? Well, these added laws is, one is, is that they, they were walking. And you could walk a certain distance, no more than 800 uh, meters. If you walked more than 800 meters in a day, you were breaking the Sabbath. You were breaking the law. That's not very far. Especially when you consider that they didn't drive, all right? So you consider that today, that all of you have broken the pharisaical law of traveling today because you went more than 800 meters. Now, maybe they would extend that a little bit further because we're in vehicles today, but they had that added there. And so because Jesus' disciples were walking, they'd bro broken that. 
Secondly, they had picked the grain. That simple act of picking the grain was work. You couldn't do that. You couldn't pick the grain. You know, today in, uh, uh, amongst the, the, the Jewish people, one of the, the laws they have, and I know technology has really helped them, but in their homes, you cannot turn on a light switch. If you're following the Jewish laws, you cannot turn on a light switch because turning on a light switch is work. So if you had lots of money, you would hire somebody to turn on a light switch for you. They would walk around when you went into a room, they'd turn on a light switch for you because that was considered work. Nowadays, you've got all this technology. You can set your lights to come on and off. They never have to touch it on a Sunday morning or excuse me, Sabbath on a Saturday. So they walked, they picked grain, and in order to eat that grain, they had to put it in their hands and they had to separate the chaff from the wheat. And that action right there was also considered work. Now, maybe some of you ladies, if you do the cooking, and maybe many of you men also do it, but maybe it would be a great relief for you today to know that you didn't have to go home and you didn't have to prepare anything. See, even in a Jewish home, if you turned on your stove, you were working. So you could have a timer set, and the stove could come on, which is great, and they have kosher stoves that way, but you could not turn on a stove. That's also working. Now, the great thing is, is that you could let the dishes pile up. That's what we did when we were in college. Every day was a Sabbath day for us. We just let them pile up. It was fantastic. So Jesus is breaking the Sabbath in these areas. That's what they're looking at. When they, when they came to him and said, hey, you're breaking the Sabbath, this is what the Pharisees were talking about. They were walking, they were picking grain, and they were, they were preparing that grain to eat. So what does Jesus want? Is, is that he gives an example of him being this king. He says, well, do you remember King David? Remember he went into the temple when he was fleeing for his life, and he and his, his, his men were hungry, and he went and he asked for the bread. This is sacred bread. This bread can only be eaten by the priest. And he went in, he ate that bread. What is Jesus why is he using that example? Well, there's a, there's a couple of reasons, but one main reason that I think I want us to understand is this, is that Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, who was David? David was the anointed king. He wasn't sitting on the throne, but he was the anointed king to be the one who is going to sit on the throne. And Jesus is saying, I am that anointed king. I'm putting myself on that level with David. I am that anointed king. I am yet to sit on the throne, but I am the one who is anointed. I am the king of kings. I am the Lord of lords. And he uses this example as he has through, we've looked, we're only a short way through the book of, of Mark, he is using it to say, this is my identity. I am the king of 
kings. Sometimes Jesus is very subtle as he, he brings in his identity, and this is one of them. Just like in the previous passage when he was talking about the bridegroom and the groom, and he is saying, listen, I am the groom. My identity is I am the groom. Just like Israel was the bride and God was the groom, that God was married to Israel, here I am as the groom and we know that we are the church, is his bride. So again, this is about his identity. And why is this important? It is important because it is expressing the kingdom of God is now. And the kingdom of God is to come. It's important because we need to know that his identity is expressing that the kingdom of God is at hand. He says that. The kingdom of God is at hand. And this is important for us. In our Western world today, much is talked about as the kingdom that is to come. And we read in the book of Revelation about the kingdom to come. But if we leave the kingdom to come as something that is to happen, we're missing out on what is already here. Yes, God's kingdom is going to come. He is going to come down and we're going we're to be, we're going to meet him in the air. A new heaven and a new earth is going to be created. We're going to be on this earth, this new heaven and this new earth, and there's going to be no sin and we're going to reign with him forever. Isn't that glorious? Isn't it wonderful that one day you and I will never have to worry about sin? We will never have to worry about doing anything wrong? Every word that we say is going to be right. Every action that we do is going to be right. Every thought that we have is going to be right. Is that not a glorious thought? That is wonderful, and I look forward to that. And that is a kingdom worthy of us wanting to pursue. But this kingdom is not just for then. This kingdom is for today. His kingdom has come. And that kingdom is something that you and I are to live in and to engage in today. Not just what is going to happen in the future. Think about the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, when the disciples say, teach us how to pray like you, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is not just meant for something that is going to be in the future. It is meant for today. Think about how this, this, this prayer goes on. Do we pray, give us some future bread? No, we say, Lord, give us, give us today bread. Do we pray that God forgive our trespasses sometime in the future? No, we're praying, God, we are praying today that you will forgive our sins today. So if this prayer is about a current, what currently is taking place in our life, then God's kingdom is here for us today. Why is it important? Well, it's not just important for the kingdom 
of the future, which is true. His kingdom is what is to come, but this is the kingdom that is here today. And this is why I think it's important. It is important because to understand that his kingdom is here today, right now, is a powerful, life-changing effect in our lives today. Because his kingdom is powerful. His kingdom calms the seas. His kingdom heals the leopard. His kingdom heals the woman who bleeds for many years. His kingdom forgives sins. His kingdom defeats evil, overcomes darkness. That's his kingdom. And that is not just what is to come. That is today. Because what do you and I need today? You and I need today his kingdom. I hope you do. I do. I need the kingdom power today. And so Jesus, in expressing his identity of being, this, being the king, is saying that, look it, the kingdom has come. The kingdom is here. It is not just what is to come, yes, but it is here today, yes. And that is a wonderful thing. And that is important for us. So with Jesus expressing his identity, it is, it is about identifying that his kingdom is right now. So I want to spend the remainder of our time about the Sabbath. I want to talk about the Sabbath. It's not something that normally we talk about in the church, but it does relate to the kingdom of God. And hopefully I'll be able to tie, tie the two together. So the question is that I want to I ask or I want to answer today, is the Sabbath for today? Is the Sabbath for today? <laughs> I heard a yes. Well, first, let's look a little bit about the Sabbath. You know, what is the purpose of the Sabbath? So in your Bibles, if you turn to Exodus chapter 20, We read and hear the Ten Commandments. And I would say that as you read through the Ten Commandments, uh, we would look at them and we would say that we hold to these commandments very strongly. You shall have no other gods before me. Do we agree? Yes, we do. We would say that uh, you shall not make for yourselves a graven image of any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or the things beneath, earth beneath. We would say yes. We're not going to bow down to anything. You shall not take the Lord's name, your, the Lord your God, in vain. And we would say yes to that. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but, but we, we look at these Ten Commandments and we say yes to all of them, especially when we get into murdering. 
we'd say, yes, we should not do that. But we have this fourth commandment called the Sabbath. And you go, do we do that? And how do we do that and not become like the Pharisees, adding all kinds of rules and regulations? So I'm going to say this as we look at this this morning. There is no way that I am able to go through this and really set um, a deep foundation. We're going to kind of skim this, but I promise you we will come back and we will look at this. The practice of Sabbath was not just what you read right here. So verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all the work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughters or your male servants or your female servants, your livestock, your sojourners who are within your gates. For the sixth day the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So look at, let's go and just look a little real quick again at uh, Genesis chapter 2. Because this is where the Sabbath was actually instituted. God created the six, day, uh, six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. On the seventh day, he didn't do any creation. Matter of fact, it's the only day out of all the days that he created, it's the only day in which he said, this day is holy. It's mentioned here in chapter 2, verse 3, and God blessed the seventh day. He blessed the day. It's the only day he blessed. In Exodus, he says that it is blessed and it is holy. It's the only day that we're told that it is blessed and holy out of all the days. Even when he created us, he still come back to the fact that on the seventh day, he rested and it was holy. So the Sabbath was at the very beginning. The Sabbath was what God created. He set forth that you and I would have a day in which we would rest. And I think it is harder than ever to actually Sabbath. It is. Because of the world that we live in, because of the technology we have to actually Sabbath is not easy. When you go back to Exodus chapter 20, I think that the Sabbath is there because the Sabbath enables us to actually do the first three because it stops us to go, who is our God? If we're having a day and that day is for him, then is it not going to ask you the question, is God number one in your life? Do you have any other idols in your life? 
Are you speaking his name in truth or are you speaking it in vain? And when you and I engage in the Sabbath, it actually helps us to do the next six as well. It is like it's sandwiched in between these two. The first is our relationship with God. The second is our relationship with people. And if we want to have a good relationship with God, we need to Sabbath. If we want to have a good relationship with people, we need to Sabbath. It's sat in, in, the, in between these two. So what is the purpose of the Sabbath? The Sabbath does not need man, but we need the Sabbath. That's what Jesus said. The Sabbath doesn't need us. You and I need the Sabbath. And the purpose of the Sabbath is to allow for rest. It is to allow for rest. So, the question is, does the Sabbath matter for us today? And I would tell you, I would say it matters even more. It matters to us. You know, for many years, I understood the Sabbath as something that that the nation of Israel did. That's how I looked at it. And I would say, okay, yeah, Sunday, I, I go to church on Sunday, and that's my Sabbath as I go to church on Sunday. And as Rain and I started to dive into it and started to look at some teaching, we, we are challenged by the thought of what it would look like for us to Sabbath more than just coming to church on Sunday, which is a great thing to do. What does it look like for you and I to engage more in Sabbath? And, and probably more than answering that question, it really is, why do I need to Sabbath? And I believe really the answer is, is that I need to Sabbath because it causes me to slow down. When, when we stop and focus on God, it causes us to slow down. And why is that important? Well, I want to give a quote to you. Uh, my son and I were talking about this. He just, uh, he, he preached a message last Sunday, and he was talking about the Sabbath. And he says, yeah, Dad, he says, um, I got this great quote. And so it's by Walter Bergman. And I want to give it to you today because I think that it is fantastic. And so it says, the Sabbath is not just a pause button. It's a full, complete, total system restart. We power down, cool off, let the fans wind down, and then reboot. Sabbath is a chance to take a long, hard look at our lives and to retune them to the right key to make sure that our lives are shaped around what really matters. And when we see the stuff in our lives that is out of whack, then we turn to Jesus and he comes and he does his healing work on the Sabbath. When else do we slow down enough from the world to allow our, our lives to be retuned, to be reset, to be powered down. I want to go on with uh, a quote from him. 
In our contemporary context, the art, the, the, excuse me, the context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of the Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. It is a resistance because it is a visible instance, insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. We live in this world that everything is centered around what we receive. It's centered around our buying and our selling. It's about what we get. And so he goes on and he says, it, it causes us to pause from that. And he says, such an act of resistance requires enormous intentionality and communal reinforcement amid a barrage of seductive pressures from the insatiable ins insistence of the market with, the with its intrusions into every part of our lives, from the family to the national budget. But the Sabbath is not only resistance, is an alternative. An alternative, uh, uh, the alternative on offering its awareness of the practice of, a of the claim that we are situated on the receiving end of God, of the gifts of God. Where, where am I going? Where I'm going is, is that Sabbath is more than just Sunday morning. Sabbath is the way that we do our lives on a day. We actually choose to say, to the best of my ability, I'm not going to shop. To the best of my ability, I'm going to put down my, my devices. I'm going to parent my devices so that I don't have distraction from this world, but I can focus on God. To the best of my ability, I'm going to enjoy God's creation. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to rest. I'm going to stop. I'm going to engage with God. This day is about Him. A Sabbath day causes us from going in this direction to say that I'm going to recenter myself back in this direction. And it's not easy to do in a culture we live in. To give a whole day to God? We say, well, every day is God's day. Yeah, it is. But I don't think that by not giving him a day, that we can give the Monday to Saturday as his day. Because it's not a focus on what I'm going to get from this world. It's a focus on my relationship with him. As I said, I'm just scratching the surface, and, and I hope this creates some conversation. I hope that some of you are sitting here going, I don't know, Scott, that seems very legalistic to me that you would give a day. That isn't even possible to do that. It's impossible to do that. And then what about the people like the nurses and the doctors who have to work on a Sunday? Or the farmer that has to milk his cows on a Sunday? What do you do there? Good questions. 
Can't answer them today. But I hope that what you will see is that there is something about the Sabbath. When God says the Sabbath was not, we were, the Sabbath was, we weren't made, we were made for the Sabbath. He says we need the Sabbath. You need to slow down and stop. So, Dallas Willard says, busyness is the greatest enemy of spiritual life. And it's true. We're going to leave here and you can be busy. You've got to go off and do this. You've got to go do that. I know my, my, my friend here, Chase, you love to play soccer. And there are many games on Sunday. How do you orchestrate that? What do you do about that? When I was growing up, Sabbath was a little bit, um, well, actually not even growing up, when I, I went to Prairie College, <clears throat> and I got to Prairie College, and um, Sunday came, and we couldn't do anything. Well, we could. We could walk. We could walk on Sunday. And the girls could walk south and west, and the boys could walk east and north. <laughs> We couldn't kick a soccer ball around. We couldn't throw a football. We couldn't put a hockey puck down. We could do none of that. But I, I don't think that is where I would go. I, I, I think that Sabbath is enjoying God, delighting in him. And there are many ways to do that but it may not be that I'm going to sit down and binge watch something on Netflix. <laughs> All right, let me, um, let me give you this. Um, so maybe just to, to say, where do I practice Sabbath? And I got this from uh, John Mark Comer, who's written a lot on spiritual disciplines, and, um, and talking about Sabbath. And he says, Sabbath can do four things for us, okay? The first is that it will stop us. And we stop what we normally do so that we can engage with God in a purposeful and direct way. And so I'm stopping what I normally do to engage with God it could be a wonderful slow walk, or it could be a wonderful, fantastic run. But I'm going to stop what I normally do. And mostly, it is stopping engaging in the economy of this world. It causes me to rest. We rest from our normal way of life, our routine. This helps us to rest our souls and our priorities. Our souls are so in such a fast pace, or our lives in such a fast pace, our souls can't even keep up, keep up with it. We need to rest. We need to slow down, folks. We really do. And if you are retired here, I know that that doesn't mean that you have just slowed down. Retirement sometimes make you, makes you busier. 
The other part is delight. We are called to delight in the Lord. To delight in the Lord ranges from times of celebration to quietly enjoying God's creation. Can I tell you one way that I like to delight in the Lord on the Sabbath? I haven't done it in a while, but this is one way that I love to delight in the Lord on Sabbath. It is called making waffles. And I have a Belgian waffle maker, and I like to make a Belgian waffle. And if you make a batter, you're going to eat more than one. But I love my Belgian waffles, and it has to have lots of butter on it. And I smear it with butter. And then I take, and I take my maple syrup, and I make sure that every single square <laughs> is filled with maple syrup. And if I'm really getting delight in it, then a little bit of fruit goes on top of that. And then you got to put whipped cream on top of that. I know. And then it doesn't, it doesn't end there. you got to do a couple strips of bacon. And you got to put an egg on top of it with bacon. And then you sit down and you eat this delicious waffle. And you delight in the Lord that you can eat such wonderful food. See, that's delighting in the Lord. That's celebrating. That is Sabbath. Can you imagine if I ate that every day? See, delighting in the Lord is just not sitting there and going, okay, I'm going to delight in the Lord. Delighting in the Lord can be full of fun and adventure, and it can be wonderful. It should be. That's Sabbathing, because I don't do it every day. And the last part is worship. And worship, we are invited to worship God by keeping the day holy, by setting it apart, by dedicating it to him for a special purpose. When we engage in a Sabbath practice, we reorientate our entire life back to the center of God. And that's where we begin to find healing from the tyranny of this world that we live in. To get, to accomplish, to do, and to be as the world wants us to be. But here, we get to reorientate that to be who God says we are. So Sabbath is a great practice. And I hope that in the, in the days to come, we'll take three or four weeks or actually four or five Sundays and we will dive a little bit deeper into the Sabbath. And what does that actually look like? How do you actually practice it? Is it even practical for us? But I hope I've dangled enough of a carrot out there that you would begin to explore. You just type in into Google search. It's wonderful. Type in Sabbath. Type in Walter Bergman, type in uh, um, John Mark Comer, and you'll find lots of material on Sabbath and engage in it. It's worth exploring. I feel like Raina and I are just at the beginning. We're babies in this. We do it well sometimes, and I, I don't do it well other times. One of my hardest things about Sabbathing is actually parenting my phone. Raina will tell you that. I have a hard time putting that phone down. And so I am not saying I have arrived, but I think as a church, to engage in it, to take small steps, 
And maybe your smallest step is going home and making a waffle today. So, let me end here. Um, I have another practice for us. Actually, I gave you a sheet uh, a couple weeks ago, and I've added to this sheet. And so here are the nine things that are on this sheet. And the, uh, they had, it had a question that was on it. And the first question was, is how does this area of my life look like Jesus or not like him? And so I'm adding to that. So the second question becomes, or the second thing I need to look at is the current rhythm of my life that shapes this. So what is the current rhythm of my life? So if the first one is, is I feel disconnected from God, God feels distance, or I feel connected to God um, and close to him. So if I feel distance from him, what is it, why is that? And it could be that it is hard to find time to pray and read scripture. I wake up and I leave for work right away. And so it's just an evaluation. You know, if we don't stop and say, why am I where I am today? Why am I where I am today in my marriage or being single or in friendships or parenting or, in, or, or um, my, me as a, as a child with my parent or my body or work or retirement, play, rest, money, technology? Technology. If I don't evaluate that and ask the question, what is my current rhythm in this area that makes it the way that it is, then I will never begin to make changes in my life. So maybe when it comes to, actually, I don't rest very good. I don't play very good. It could be because I don't Sabbath, because I work seven days a week. When I go from here, I got work to do. I got to get things done. So I would encourage you to pick up a sheet and to go through this if you haven't already. I've got two more things to add to it, but I believe it is a way for us to evaluate our lives and our practices to say, am I spending time with Jesus? Am I becoming like him so I can do what he does? That's what this is all about. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, this morning as we have gone through the scripture, I praise you and I thank you that, that what we see is Jesus establishes his identity, that he is king of kings, he is lord of lords. He truly is the lord of the Sabbath. But we're reminded by Jesus' very words that, that the Sabbath was made for us. Because God, you know how prone we are to be distracted. You knew how prone we would become in doing all kinds of things other than just stopping and resting and being with you. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would just explore this a little bit deeper, a little bit greater. Lord, we could find ourselves taking steps to reset our lives with you. Lord, our, our community so desperately needs us to be a reflection of you. 
our families are in great need of having a focus of you. Father, help us as we take steps to evaluate our lives that they can reflect that you are in us. We are your vessels. We are your people. You have called to be a light in this world, to be salt on this earth. Help us to be intentional, God, in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.